0: Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer.
1: Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer. Well, uh, Mr. Pfeiffer.
0: That night he takes a drive. And Diana falls into his life. I have something they want. It's worth a great deal of money. Let's not do anything rash
1: head. This is just too weird for me. I was his mistress. Hello everyone and welcome to Pfeiffer Fridays where we walk you through the films of one Michelle Pfeiffer and every f-word automatically has a silent p. I'm Michael McLean,
0: and I'm Jerry Downey
1: and today we are covering 1985's Into the Night uh, starring Jeff Goldblum David Bowie, Catherine Harold, Dan Aykroyd, Richard Farnsworth, Bruce McGill, Irene Pappas, Paul Mazursky, and finally La Pfeiffer as Diana, like Princess Diana.
0: I was hoping you'd say that.
1: Yeah. That's her last name, Diana, like Princess Diana. That's her last name.
0: Just one word.
1: Yeah, just one word never heard of this movie until this project how about you
0: the uh, same come completely out of my line of sight until we until we started this
1: absolutely yeah it's uh it's her follow-up to Scarface so or the second movie the, not the second movie the movie she did after Scarface so um yeah, is she really starting to be in like leading lady territory with this one, maybe.
0: Yeah, I mean, she, you know, leads Grace to yeah. most prominent female in Scarface by by a mile. Mm-hmm. And then and then this one.
1: Where she's really the this co-lead opposite, you know, opposite Jeff Goldblum. Absolutely. Um, and this is a movie directed by John Landis. And I was looking up John Landis's filmography. I don't think I've seen another John Landis film. Really? Before. I'm really looking. I'm just checking. So you've
0: state. never seen Trading Places or Coming to America. I feel like those were the.
1: I really meant to watch Coming to America because of the sequel that's, that's, um, of course. That's out right now, but we just haven't gotten around to it. And, um, yeah, not um not trading places, not Blues Brothers. Um yeah, he has just not been on my radar.
0: Uh, I was yeah. about to say I was I was surprised how many of them I had seen cuz like okay. I've seen the Animal House seen well, I Remember
1: you talked about Animal House with Hollywood Nights so Hollywood like, Night oh,
0: exactly. Is. Uh loved Three Amigos. That okay. was that was one of my parents' movies. We would watch that on car trips.
1: Okay. Did you have one of those cars with like the with the with the DVD with the video players that would come down from the?
0: No, we had. I think at my dad's school, they had like a a lottery, and one of the things he won was this little portable DVD player. Oh, okay. That you could like charge in the cigarette lighter thing. So we would just we would just pop that up on on car trips and put, you know, run a couple DVDs for wherever we were going because it was always less than a week usually. Mm-hmm. And and watch those on the car trips. And I I know we watched Three Amigos and Fletch. I don't know why we were on a Chevy Chase kick, but I, I know we watched those.
1: Okay. Yeah, so um, when you were talking, I remember when you were talking about Animal House compared, comparing it with the Hollywood Nights, and watching this, I can tell where some of maybe the the comedic impulses that John Landis wants to bring in to this movie, um, I can see where those line up with your comparisons to Animal House and the Hollywood Nights. I'm like, okay, I can see where this. Um, I can see where Jerry was talking about with this. If this isn't a flat out comedy, but the little, the itty bitty specs we get here and there. Okay, I can see they're in the same family. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. I really, I I liked maybe the first, I was into it. I was into like the first hour of this. Oh, good movie. for you. And yeah, and towards the end, you know, as a lot of movies recently, it's just been like, we've got to drag ourselves across that finish line. <laughs> it was none of that for you. Jerry. shaking of, his head. None he was like, of that. Was none it of just, this
0: for you. It started off where I thought it was going to be more satiric. Because hmm. like the first scene with Goldblum and his wife kind of had that heightened like 50s sensibility in the 80s sort of line delivery where it's just like, mm-hmm. honey, what's wrong? Oh, this. And she takes his plate away before he can eat his breakfast. And it's I was like, oh, okay. I, I think I see where we're going. And that wasn't where we were going. Yeah. And yeah, it 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 just this one didn't pull me in. Not not even the first hour was okay. was I pulled in it just felt very haphazard mm-hmm. to me the whole time It felt like you had this very paper thin through line and then we're just going through the different vignettes of people not very interesting people but people yeah so yeah this uh yeah no this this one didn't land for me
1: yeah and that's all right um yeah this is. So Jeff Goldblum in this movie, he—I realize this is the very, I think, towards the end. I think, I think he says his job. He's—he's he's an aerospace engineer. Mm-hmm. Didn't get that at all from his little cubicle at work. I'm like, that, I was so surprised when he dropped the fact that he was an aerospace engineer. I thought he was kidding. I was like, okay, sure, Jeff Goldblum, you're an aerospace engineer, but um, he's pretty. Uh, he's an insomniac, he's depressed. And um, when he discovers that his wife is having an affair, he um, seems like he drives to the airport in the middle of the night to kind of take a spur of the moment trip out of of LA, seems like, and who should just hop onto the hood of his car, but one Michelle Pfeiffer, who is um, a jewel smuggler just going to let that sink in. She's a jewel smuggler, everybody. Because when I think of jobs that Michelle Pfeiffer should play on film,
0: I think of jewel smuggler. I mean, I'm, I'm here for that. Yeah. If you, if you told me that there was a movie where Michelle played a jewel smuggler, I would probably think I would be on board with that. Okay. That sounds fine.
1: Yeah. So she's running from a group of of bumbling Iranians, um, who are also after the jewels that she has smuggled back from the Shah of Iran, or the his the Shah of Iran's treasury.
0: It, Some very important staff that had emeralds on it. That oh yeah, it's like a she now okay. has the 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 stones from.
1: So, people are after these stones.
0: And so Six she's running. perfect emeralds, as she says. Six
1: perfect emeralds. Um, she is on the run with these stones. And because she just happens to land on the hood of Jeff Goldblum's car, they're in it together and they're racing through LA in the middle of the night, trying to dodge these, trying to dodge the Iranians, trying to dodge David Bowie, trying to keep the emeralds safe and trying to um was it her lover jack who gave her who gave her the um who put her on the mission in the first place
0: i feel like it has to be because there's no other there's no other way in my head that i think and he's the one that knows all about it yeah so yeah it it, it must have been
1: yeah again to the movie's fault there's some um, there's some peripheral people that it's just like
0: that they talk you know, about constantly.
1: It's like, who are you? Where are you? What do you have to do with the story? Yeah. So, for the most part, it's just Jeff Goldblum wants to go to bed. Michelle's trying to get a trying to get out of town. That's about it. <laughs> and there's six perfect emeralds. <laughs> um, I, the, when you had said the um the beginning where it's kind of the satirical feeling that you got with the kind of the breakfast scene. I felt that in the scene when, when they're in the, the traffic jam in LA and you see the different people in their cars. Yeah. You have the guy looking at a playboy in the front seat. You have a woman crying and eating a sandwich. I was like, oh, maybe it's this kind of type of comedy. And then you had Jeff Goldblum in the scene earlier where he's just so kind of comatose dead inside. You're like, okay, maybe this is just kind of these type of people. I can kind of get behind this if this is what we're going to do. Then when he gets to the office and he's and he's chatting with Dan Aykroyd, it's like, okay, this is just a basic depressed man. This isn't really a comment on any, this isn't really, this is just normal. This kind of a realism is what we're supposed to believe here.
0: I guess I felt like we were going to be in a semi-Cohen Brothers existence. Yeah, sure. But that's sort of how the beginning before Michelle's character comes on the scene, that's kind mm-hmm. of how I felt, albeit it was sort of, you know, Dan Aykroyd's talking about how you can buy a hooker and she'll do anything for $200. So it's sort of a a raunchier Cohen Brothers in that sense. But it it felt... That's the vibe I was getting until Michelle's character jumps on the hood of his car and then that's when the actual movie started.
1: Yeah, for sure. What I thought was maybe a clever juxtaposition that ended up not really aging very well over the course of the movie was um, you have Michelle entering the parking garage with I guess her contact for the Emeralds? I wasn't quite sure who that person was that she was with who eventually gets killed. Yeah. But um, the bumbling Iranians come out, <laughs> come out of the car and just attack Michelle, kill her companion. They're gonna kill her too. She's running away from them, and each of these men take out their guns, and it seems like they're not sure. Yeah, just they're not sure who should be shooting. Is that, what I, is that what you got the sense of? Like, no, it's it's almost like, no, it's his turn. It's my turn. It's my turn to shoot. They know how to work a gun. Like,
0: <laughs> I mean, that's, I, I, I wish I knew. Okay. Honestly, like that was one of those things where you almost sort of expected subtitles to pop up. Yeah. But really it was just, it, it felt like a, this is supposed to be funny. Yeah, make of it what you will. So, sort of sort of moment, but yeah, no, it. I couldn't tell if they didn't want to shoot the guns because somebody would hear, or if they. I I had no clue, Michael.
1: Okay, and I thought, <laughs> okay, this is really strange that you know this is really happening to Michelle. She's running for her life, and then we have this moment. Where we have to pause and watch these. And watch kind of like a, a little shtick. Just felt really strange.
0: But there's a lot of that in this movie.
1: There is a lot of that. And so the, for the first scene, I was like, okay, this is really interesting. And then that just ended up happening a, for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Um. I even think, looking down my list, there's, um. you know, when they, again, she is in danger and she's going to she ends up kind of trying to lay low at her brother's place. But her brother is uh, Elvis impersonator.
0: A very angry Elvis impersonator.
1: <laughs> he must have had a bad night. Um, must not have done well for him. But um, he's a very angry Elvis impersonator. And so as Jeff Goldblum is trying to figure out what's going on, Michelle's trying to regroup. All around us are these posters of Elvis. And you finally get the kind of the punchline, I guess, is when her brother walks in the Elvis costume and you're like, oh, oh, Elvis impersonator. Yeah, And then the cherry on top is when they need a car to get to their next destination. And it's this huge stretch that says a white caddy with a, the king lives on the side. As you know, Michelle and Jeff Golden were trying to, um,
0: remain inconspicuous.
1: Yes. I'm like, wh- what What the fuck is going, what the fuck is going on on this here day? You can't tell me that the men in that uh, car were like, didn't look a little askance at that, <laughs> at that King Lives car and think, what's up with that? What's um, What's going on there? But it's, it's stuff like that where it's just like, I imagine John Landis was trying to be was to take a dark turn with his movies and explore darker themes, but still keep some comedic tones in there. And I can see what he was trying to do, but for the most part, it's just like
0: they don't mesh correctly. No. Because it's like you said about them shooting the gun, it feels like we're in this decent thriller mm-hmm. territory but then there's a cutaway sometimes to a completely different locale Mm -hmm. for seven seconds of unnecessary shtick and it's just like what the fuck man Mm -hmm. what is what what why Mm -hmm. like like he's the bumbling iranians i don't know how many times we cut away from something that actually seemed integral to the story to watch them break a window yeah. Or just throw, throw something at something. And it's just like, art. oh, <laughs> what, what am I supposed to do with that, John Landis?
1: Mm-hmm. And I'm even like, what am I supposed to do with David Bowie in this movie? Where, why, why do we have him here?
0: That's a great question. Um, Two scenes?
1: Yeah. And he's even in one of the most kind of more violent moments, or these kind of the ones that you come upon. Um, which again feels so, so clashy and so kind of just really compared to like so much of, you know, the they're trying to build maybe a relationship with Michelle and Jeff. We have the little shtick. And then we have these moments of like really crazy violence where, as I, David Bowie comes upon, I don't even know, again, it's so hard to figure out really what's going on. It's where Michelle goes into like, is it when she's meeting up
0: with- it's in the hotel room, right? Where they have the fight with all the dead bodies all around them.
1: Yeah.
0: You could see little glimmers of that where that, it felt like that very well could have been a very slapstick fight. Because one of the guys that's supposed to be dead, like bounces back to life, takes the knife out of his body. And then he and David Bowie are trying to stab each other with Michelle in between them. Mm-hmm. But there's not a commitment to the bit. Mm-hmm. So it's like, is she in danger? Is this supposed to be funny? Yeah. Where's the line? Like I sort of thought back to something like clue. Mm-hmm. I don't know why probably because you know they have their arms around Michelle. I thought of when the when Mr. Body falls out of the bathroom and lands on Mrs. Peacock and Eileen Brennan's losing her goddamn mind. Mm-hmm. And then there's all that physical bit of trying to like get the body off of Mrs. Peacock and then catching her as she faints. And there's, it's violent and it's bloody, but there's all this very well executed shtick around it that just makes it hilarious. Mm-hmm. I was just like, is that what this is supposed to be? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. she has to like crawl out from between them after they've fallen over the seventh piece of furniture. One of them, her Goldblum trips over one of the bodies, you know, racing out of the hotel room. It just, it never, it seems very committed to middle of the road and trying to achieve both genres at the same time, meaning it achieves nothing for me.
1: And I think that moment when they're escaping from the hotel, David Bowie and the other guy are, got their arms around each other. A couple of these, um, couple of guys chasing after Michelle and Jeff shoot a dog in the elevator shoot which a dog is, in
0: the elevator. Yeah.
1: It's like, and then we go on a good um, going to, in my opinion, a good car chase, but we have a car chase at the end of all that,
0: the parking garage,
1: the parking garage with the taxi cab. And then at the very end of it, there's a little button where the taxi driver says, get the fuck out of my cab, which should be kind of like a funny button to that scene. But it's we've kind of, we've gone to we've gone into five different movies over the course of that ten minutes. And so it's like I don't even know if I should be mortified that you've just allowed a dog to be killed on a dog to be killed in your movie, or should I be laughing that that you're this tax that this taxi ever just had to go on a car chase out of nowhere? So
0: it's all valid questions, Michael.
1: Yeah, with no answers, I think. <laughs> At least, not answers that we'll find out. My favorite Michelle moment is, you know, I, I, I noticed in your letterbox review that you, um, I haven't rated this yet, but um, I noticed you're like she isn't doesn't isn't really able to really elevate this much, and I would agree. I think, her and Jeff Goldblum are just kind of there
0: for the ride, and they're just there's not, it, and and it's odd because Jeff Goldblum is doing like his default stuff Mm -hmm. this is this is something we've seen jeff goldblum do and enjoyed i feel like what he's doing here is very much his sort of default setting now that he's aged Mm -hmm. and it it should work is is the really baffling thing like especially because he doesn't really change over the course of the movie no at least from the way he's playing it so michelle is the more dynamic character of the two Mm -hmm. and it just it doesn't get there but the the math on this one doesn't make sense because all of the composite parts should make it work Mm -hmm. it's it's odd it's very odd but yeah i i i did not think this was a good role slash performance from her which Mm -hmm pains me to say and it's rare for us to say as as far as the 21 movies we've covered so far usually even if we think the movie sucks we're able to say she's a bright spot in it but that that's not the case here
1: yeah no unfortunately not um but the one scene that I really liked of hers was um after she's um picked up her her coat with the dye with the emeralds in it She's um, in the. She's. They've been. Jeff Goldblum and Michelle have been taken by yet another person. After these emeralds, as far as I know, to get these guys out of her hair, that way she and Jeff can make a clean getaway. Is she brings a sheriff over and just introduces them to the people in the car? <laughs> you know, this is my husband. This is our friend from Paris. These are you know they work for me. Uh, this driver and this other man they work for me all in a sense to kind of get away safely because then she knows if like well if a sheriff's here we're untouchable so i kind of loved that little moment of her turning the tables a little bit and worming her way out of that situation that way they can get away safely
0: that uh, no that was a good moment for her i'm i i I like that we had different moments for her because that was not the good moment that okay. I had. I really liked their scene in the diner after the car chase. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. It was this nice little pause with no shenanigans and just the two of them eating an ice cream Sunday, sort of talking about their lives and Jeff Goldblum's going through this litany of things that are wrong with him. And her only response is, So you went to the airport? And he'll say something else. And she just goes, So you went to the airport? <laughs> like this was supposed to solve your problem. How? Yeah. And it just, that's really the only moment where their chemistry also sort of shows itself they're able to play off each other really well because they're not surrounded by any of this other bullshit they're having to deal with the rest of the movie it's just Mm -hmm. it's a very nice quiet moment between the two of them and that was the part where i was just like oh this is this is good for her i Mm -hmm. i I like how this scene is going
1: yeah it was a really nice one for her yeah i remember that so you went to the again that was another kind of moment where that feels like a kind of a classic comedy writing bit where it's almost like they're re- repeating the three times almost. Like, uh-huh. so you went to the airport, so you went to the airport, so you went to the airport. I don't even think they complete that kind of comedy beat, but even that I was like, oh, is that, are they going to do this little like funny beat? But no. <laughs> but still, it was, it was charming
0: there were several and I, and I guess that comes from sort of the haphazard tonal shifts of this movie. There were several times where I was waiting for some complete curveball to be thrown just based on the surroundings of where we were, like right before the scene we were talking about with Bowie and the the hotel room. I don't I think it's Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein meet Dracula whichever horror movie is playing in the background, Dracula is sort of ever present in the shots they're showing and the
1: mm-hmm.
0: the sound that they're doing. And in my head, I was just like, so it was only about halfway through. And I even wrote down, I, I was just like, if there are vampires in this goddamn movie, be, because everything, like, even when it felt at its most straightforward, again, it would shift to something completely out of the box. Mm-hmm. Just like, I don't know. I hope that this horror movie has no significance, and of course it didn't. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, if there are if there are vampires in this movie, I may need to clock out. Just <laughs> punch it at an hour in and say a- a- adieu <laughs> yes. into the night. Yes. But same thing at the end, when he wakes up in the hotel room, there was this moment in my head where I thought, oh my God, has everything involving Michelle Pfeiffer been a dream sequence?
1: Oh, see, I didn't even want to think that. I was like, I I can't.
0: I'm not saying it was a happy thought, but it was a thought because you had, you know, this sort of. 80s smooth jazz in the background while she's showering and then like leans over to kiss him and he wakes up and she's nowhere to be found it's daylight
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I was <laughs> that's just where my brain automatically went where I was just like oh did he, Could he have instead of, of going to the airport did he just fall asleep at a hotel that night has she never been there
1: yeah that would have been just like
0: isn't that nightmare fuel
1: yeah uh, to if, if that had been the case, I would have called iTunes. <laughs> I'd have called Apple and been like, can I have my $3.99 back?
0: You will give me my $4 back for this one.
1: Because that's inexcusable. There's so many cameos in this movie as well. I clocked Jonathan Demme at the end.
0: I mean, there's he's... something like 17 directors in like, this movie.
1: I just wanted, who, did you owe a favor to John Landis? Did you, who? I
0: think this is the first one he's done it, but everything post this, that's kind of his shtick. Okay. Our two second cameos. But yeah, like, I don't know how many of them were in the opening credits, but David Cronenberg popped up in the opening credits. And I thought, we're talking like
1: the director, director
0: David Cronenberg. And yeah, he (laughs) shows up. He's uh, uh, Goldblum's boss in that first scene in the conference room. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah, cameos all over the place in this one.
1: Amy Heckerling in the diner scene, Amy Heckerling. um, Yep. The clumsy waitress.
0: (laughs) Not a director, but much like up close and personal, we've got Michelle's sister, Dee Pfeiffer on hand as a five second hooker trying to pick up Jeff Goldblum on the streets of California.
1: Yeah, I I'd clock that in the end credits. I was like, oh, Dee Dee. <laughs> there's Dee Dee. Um, and again, that even felt like there's just again, like little moments where you know you have maybe the expected beat of, you know, a hooker coming up to the car and then a drug dealer come up to the car. It's those little things that um make you feel like a whole other movie is trying to be trying to be wedged in here. There's so many there are five movies that are trying to be wedged into one blender, but it needed to commit to the comedy more. I think it would have been a more successful movie if it did. If it really did that.
0: And and I think that's the type of, of movie it's it feels like that's what it's written to be and cast to be, because you don't you don't see 25 random three second cameos in thrillers.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's that that's a comedy bit and and that's Good bit in most in most of them when you're going to do that. It's fun because you don't need to you don't need to drop your focus to say, oh, I just saw Amy Heckerling. Now let me get back to the drama. And in a comedy, you're able to, you know, laugh at it and keep on going with the movie. There's no break in focus. Mm-hmm. This one seems to want to be a thriller first. And it just comes off un- unbalanced in the execution. Huh. I will say at the very least in terms of it wanting to be a thriller first, the theme song slash score from the second it starts up, you're just like, oh, give me that 80s thriller. Give yep. me that synth and that brass, just.
1: We got we got some of that synth. We got the synth in there.
0: And every time it pops up, like it, that at least gets you into the environment <laughs> of, of the movie very quickly is that theme song over the opening credits. I was just like, ah, we are, we are deep in 1985.
1: <laughs> yep. I know <laughs> thanks to this project, I'm really um because we do we've got quite a lot of 80s movies to watch. I feel like I am becoming more attuned and more yes yeah, like it's it's like an ah uh, feeling when you know that 80s score comes up. We get that um, just that just that synth, just that good old up tempo synth. I'm like, this is this is good. This is I'm like a doggy on a dashboard. Like this is great. <laughs> I love
0: this. I know I know it's further down the run of this one, but I I can't I can't tell you enough how much I can't wait to watch Lady Hawk with you, if only to just dip into that warm bath of synth that is that score.
1: Ah, uh, the warm bath. That's what it feels like. It's Let just, it wash
0: over you in this medieval fairy tale scored very much for the 80s. <laughs> yeah.
1: Was there any type of awards conversation even bring into this one?
0: No. Okay. I And, and I thought about it. Like I, I even looked up because I don't think the Oscars would have come near this for the life of them in the mid 80s. Mm-hmm. But I even looked at the at the globes just just for funsies to see who was up for it. And this was this was sort of the heavy prestige year, especially for leading actresses, because you had Whoopi in Color Purple and mm-hmm. Geraldine Page in Trip to Bountiful and Marilyn out of Africa. Ooh. But the 80s musical comedy actresses for that year were Kathleen Turner for Pritzy's Honor, who was the winner. Yay, she's she's great in that movie. Rosanna Arquette for Desperately Seeking Susan. Mm-hmm. Glenn Close in a movie called Maxi, which is a Glenn Close title I am unaware of, so need to add that okay. to the list. Hmm. Uh, Mia Farrow for The Purple Rose of Cairo and Sally Field for Murphy's Romance. So of those, Kathleen's probably the one closest to getting in the Oscar race, just because of how well received Pritzi's Honor was. Mm-hmm. But none of those performances crossed over to Oscar. And it feels like, doesn't feel like this movie and this performance would have moved any of those women. I don't know. Michelle had not even gotten her first Golden Globe nomination yet. Yeah. And, you know, close, faro, field just on name recognition alone it feels like that probably wouldn't have been in competition Mm -hmm. but you know if this had been more of a comedy maybe because we've we've talked about michelle uh, especially in uh one fine day Mm -hmm. and she's got the comedy chops to pull off a good comedic performance but it's it's not it's not in this one
1: yeah and it's really looking at reviews for this movie you know once again her looks are brought up in comparison to her performance i think one reviewer said um you know you would be forgiven if you thought she was what was it? like you'd be forgiven if you thought she was so beautiful that you didn't notice that she's a kind of a halfway decent comedian
0: yeah so beautiful that one is apt not to notice that she has the potential for being a fine comedian. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that maybe he thought there was a compliment buried in that nonsense. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, that is the most backhanded compliment I've read in some time where it's just like, she's too pretty for you to notice that she's actually might be funny on occasion. It's like, well, that's bullshit.
1: So, and they, they even comment on how it seems like they comment disparagingly, disparagingly on the fact that she had just come off of Scarface a little bit. I get the sense that, oh, it's, it's like they're still trying to figure out what she's, you know, like what she's bringing to the table. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but it just feels like a lot of like reviewers at the time were trying to figure out, okay, who is this woman? And what is she bringing to this, bringing to the table with us?
0: Which I appreciate, because even this early in her career, I think that shows she's achieving her goal of not being pigeonholed. Yeah, Which, for a 23-year-old, beautiful, blonde actress, is an achievement Mm -hmm. at that point. If critics aren't able to just say, oh, she's constantly playing long-suffering wives, or she's constantly playing the coked-out girlfriend... Mm-hmm. They're they're not able to peg her at a in a type, and that is an, an issue for some of these critics.
1: So it's almost like, well, we'll just we'll pick at the thing that's near her looks. Almost, you know, we'll just comment on that instead of actually her.
0: talking about her yeah. performance and her talent and mm-hmm. what she's able to bring to a movie. I did love this quote from Roger Ebert about all the cameos Mm -hmm. in the movie. He said, if I had been the agent for one of the stars, I think I would have protested to the front office that Landis was engaging in cinematic autoeroticism and that my clients were getting lost in the middle of the family reunion. First off, I want a t-shirt that says cinematic autoeroticism.
1: That's a lot of words. That's a lot of syllables.
0: So basically it's just like, this is we're just watching John Landis jack off all over this movie.
1: Uh yeah. Yeah, it's like, look, look, look at all the people that I can bring in to be in my movie. Look at all this, look at all this LA, all these set pieces I can get.
0: It does seem like, even though a lot of critics actively didn't like the movie, mm-hmm. they did give credit to Goldblum and Pfeiffer for what they were able to do in the movie, mm-hmm. which, even if I don't think this is their best work, I would agree that it is due to the material they are given. It is not because they are untalented or not trying. I think they're succeeding the best they can with what they've been given.
1: I would agree. Would we um, recommend Into the Night?
0: My knee-jerk response is no. Mm -hmm. But I also saw that on Letterboxd, which, you know, is neither here nor there, it's averaged out at like a three point five, yeah, on Letterbox. So there, are, there are people that like it. As we were talking about earlier, there's a very famous person who likes it.
1: Shall we? Do we want to talk about that famous person? Who I really think likes we it? have
0: to talk about that famous person.
1: So, for context, this was um a the actors on actors series that they do for the film and television award seasons. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and Sarah Jessica Parker were paired up. I guess Michelle was there for the Wizard of Lies. And then Sarah, Sarah Jessica, do we we call her Sarah Jessica or just Sarah?
0: I think I usually either say her full name or SJP.
1: Yeah, you kind of have to do the full thing, don't you? So Sarah Jessica Parker was there for (laughs) her HBO show Divorce. And they're talking about, of course, Michelle in such humble fashion is like, I don't know what I would get, you know, recognized for, you know, what am I most known for? I don't presume to know. She's so wonderfully humble. And, um, and SJP says, you know what I love you in? And she says. Well, okay, could be mm-hmm. it could be Scarface.
0: It could be Catwoman, mm-hmm. could be Susie Diamond from mm. Baker Boys, mm. but mm. my guess
1: is, I don't know, I don't know. What, um, this is one of those what you kind think? of not, you well, uh, you weren't for gonna me, say it's either Scarface. Okay, yeah. Except that, except that, one of my most favorite, favorite, outside of Lady Hawk, um, one of my <laughs> most favorite, favorite movies of yours, and I've just forgotten that is the Jeff Goldblum, is the- Fa- Baker Boys. No. Oh, Gold- Goldblum, Into the Night? Yes. Oh my God, really? I love that movie. You I've right seen that movie not. like six times. Get out! Don't you hear that from no. people? From real cinephiles? No. No? Uh-uh. Oh, that movie is... Ye- well, it's about to be sold out at Blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I have to maybe... God, know. that movie is fantastic. Okay.
0: And Sarah Jessica Parker loves that movie. She, she loves this movie. How many times has she watched it? Six, at least six. And Michelle, Michelle's face just sends me. She does not understand. And of course, the thing that I love about Sarah Jessica Parker, she says with the most obliviousness, don't you get that from from people, you know, like real cinephiles? And I was just like, ma'am. Real
1: cinephiles, I don't know. I don't know about that.
0: I have so many feelings about that.
1: <laughs> much to think about. Much to discuss. You know, it's almost, we almost have to think of, rethink the term cinephile.
0: Well, I need to go like sit in a tub with candles lit and really have some self-reflection about my, my status in terms of how I view films <laughs> in comparison to one Miss Sarah Jessica Parker.
1: I mean, seriously, I'm gonna. You're. It's gonna be like the Tiffany New York, New York Pollard gif of you just sitting on the bed.
0: Yeah, just glasses on, taking a real hard look at myself.
1: I'm so bummed that podcast is on a visual medium, and so <laughs> that's what I just did.
0: But it did. It, it it did make me happy that Michelle seemed as baffled as we were. Yeah. That Sarah Jessica Parker would think that of all the titles that came up because Michelle threw out Scarface, Catwoman, and Susie Diamond, which are very obvious answers. Yeah. But Sarah Jessica Parker follows up with, yeah, I would say Scarface and the the Jeff Goldblum movie.
1: Which just goes to show how... You
0: know. No liaisons, no Age of Innocence. No. No Witches of Eastwick. And, and we're past... A lander at this point, we're past Stardust, we're past Hairspray, we, no, none of those. Jeff Goldblum movie.
1: And when you texted me that video link, and as, um, and as I'm watching the clip you told me to fast forward to, I had a, I, it was a, a sinking feeling in my stomach because I knew what was going to happen.
0: There's no reason to watch it unless it has something to do with this movie.
1: <laughs> I kind of knew I was like, oh no, what is Sarah Jessica Parker going to... I was like, I feel like it's Sarah Jessica Parker is going to say something. I don't think Michelle's going to bring it up. I would be surprised if Michelle did, but... Um, Michelle
0: didn't remember the fucking movie.
1: <laughs> she just... And yeah, once she said into the night, I just... Um, you saw my face. I was just
0: credit where credit is due that video came to me courtesy of frank calvillo deep friend of the pod but yeah i but i had the same reaction when frank sent it to me i was just like there's no reason why i should be watching this unless one of them brings up into the night and i know michelle's not going to bring up into the night so i wonder what sarah jessica parker has to say about into the night
1: oh and she has a lot to say about into the night i wish we could bring her on here and just a, a
0: thirty-minute check-in with SJP about into the night.
1: Yeah. What? When did you first see it? When do you watch this movie? What? What prompts you to put it on? <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we don't recommend it, but Sarah Jessica Parker recommends it. And if you're a real cinephile, you'll listen to Sarah Jessica Parker.
0: Yes. Don't listen to us, real real cinephiles out there. If this is not part of your watch list, get on it.
1: And with that, I think that's all I've got on Into the Night.
0: I mean, the the real culprit for this episode is Jamie Lee Curtis. Because if she hadn't pulled out of this movie, we would never have had to watch it.
1: <gasps> what did she do instead?
0: A movie called Perfect with John Travolta, which I had never seen nor heard of until I saw that Jamie <laughs> Jamie Lee dropped out of Into the Night. But yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis, I love you, but I I do blame you for this episode.
1: I blame you for doing this to us. <laughs> this
0: this is all your fault, Jamie Lee.
1: And it's such a it's such a kind of flat part that I think, okay, it's I think you could maybe put anybody in here. And they could have done it.
0: And I guess that's that's why it's so low, both on my ranking of her films and her performances, is because we've discussed roles that are seemingly flat on the page that she is able to just enliven and spark up. And it's, it's great. There's always little things to find in what she's doing and enjoy and, and jump into. And I I probably go back to that Roger Ebert quote. It feels like Landis is more interested in seeing how many people he can get into this movie than directing his two leads. Yeah. I, she's still early enough in her career where I'm sure for a role that's minimal on the page, it would be very beneficial to have a director that's actually working and guiding her mm-hmm. rather than leaving her and Goldblum, it seems, to their their own devices to try to make the best of what they have in front of them.
1: And we've got... Because next week we're talking about Amazon Women on the Moon, is that right?
0: Yes, her, her return to the world of John Landis.
1: So I'm curious... And it seems from what I've seen, that movie, it seems more like kind of another vignette y type of movie. So
0: But um, hopefully I feel like that movie knows <laughs> its vignettes because it's it's a director for each yeah. chunk.
1: Okay. Yeah, I wonder what brought her back into that fold. I would love to know.
0: Yeah, I'll be interested to read more about that movie and see if it was just something fun, you know, just We've got to shoot this 20 to 30 minute scene. You want to come do this? Uh, So for any of our listeners joining us for the first time today, we end all of our episodes with Six Degrees of Michelle Pfeiffer, which is a game where we give each other an actor or actress and have to connect them to Michelle Pfeiffer via other actors and films in Six Degrees or less. Michael, do you want to give or receive first today?
1: I'll I'll give to you first. Okay. So see so yeah, I if, if you can see if you can without kind of going by the way of Marvel movies right okay. connect Scarlett Johansson to oh. Miss Michelle
0: why are only like 3 Scarlett Johansson movies coming into my head mm-hmm. uh okay There's probably a shorter path, but this is the one that popped in my head. So Mm -hmm. Michelle is in A Thousand Acres with Michelle Williams, Mm -hmm. who is in Greatest Showman with Hugh Jackman, who is in Scoop with Scarlett Johansson.
1: Okay, great. There we go.
0: Okay. My person for you today... I'm pretty sure we talked about her last episode uh, is Juliette Binoche.
1: Oh, okay. I found like a really quick way to get there, but I want to see if I can find a longer way to see if I can.
0: I wonder if our quick ways were the same.
1: Was it Johnny Depp?
0: <laughs> it was like, in, it could be two people from Chocolat. It could be Johnny yeah. Depp or Judy Dench.
1: Yeah. Let's see. I want to see if I can find
0: a longer way there. Um, Jesus, there's another murder on the Orient Express person that's a one degree.
1: I'm gonna find a way. I want to find like a way to, to find like a different longer path. And all during quarantine, I watched so many, like, I watched like those, that three colors series that she did. Mm. And like certified copy. I'm like, I don't think I can find any people there. Oh, well, here we go. So there's another Orient Express person that I just came to me, Jesus. So Michelle was in um, Murder on the Orient Express with Willem Defoe, who was in The Lighthouse with Robert Pattinson, who was in High Life with Juliet Binoche.
0: Very nice. That was that was the other quick one because Defoe was in The English Patient.
1: There we go. I only saw that one in college. So I was like, I was trying to find like the Ray Fiennes or the Kristen Scott Thomas. <laughs> I guess I could have if I just thought of, like, the Gosford Park cast. Mm. Mm.
0: Love that movie.
1: Yeah, if that's then um, Six Degrees, um, then this has been another episode of Five for Fridays. Um, I am Michael McLean, and you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Michael D. McLean.
0: And I am Jerry Downey, and you can follow me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Jerry Downey 913
1: uh, Please remember to rate and review us um, on Apple Podcasts. Um, it makes us easier to find so we can continue to spread the Michelle gospel. You can find the um, our podcast account also on um, Twitter and Instagram at Fiverr Friday. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you again next week for Fiverr Fridays. They killed him. Killed who? Hasi. Hasi? In the parking lot. I, w- I was with him. He was waiting for me. The stones were his.
0: We have to get the police.
1: No, I can't. I smuggled them in.
0: What stones?
1: Six perfect emeralds. They're priceless.
0: They killed this guy for six emeralds. How'd you get involved in all this?